0: hey guys and welcome to the Taxcel cell podcast where tax investing is made easy I'm of course your host. I'm Casey Dimon I'm a veteran tax investor, tax trainer and founder of the Taxcel cell Academy where our trainings have been learned by thousands of students across the world. As always at the end of today's podcast if you like advanced training or if you're ready to get started towards tax success please head on over to taxcellacademy.com. Today, in this episode of the Tax Sale Podcast, we'll be comparing bank foreclosures to tax foreclosures. There are many, many misinformed people that assume that these are the same thing. A bank foreclosure, a tax foreclosure, they're all foreclosures, right? Well, kind of, but a bank foreclosure and a tax foreclosure, they're two totally different types of foreclosures. And the deal is, if you think these are the same thing, that's pretty misconstrued. That's far from the truth. Now, just to be completely transparent here, I do have extensive experience with both. I've purchased bank-owned homes, and I've also obviously purchased many, many tax-sell properties. I've also worked with other friends, other investors who have done both as well. So I'm very, very familiar with both bank foreclosures and tax foreclosures. So what's the difference? Well, the primary difference is that in a bank foreclosure, the property owner owes the bank money through their delinquent mortgage. In a tax foreclosure, the property owner owns the county money by way of their delinquent property taxes. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Bank foreclosures, you owe bank money. Tax foreclosure, you owe taxes. You owe the county that money. So let's go ahead and discuss bank foreclosures first. It all starts when a borrower borrows money against a parcel of real estate. Typically, it would be a home that they live in, for example. Now, this could be a purchase. It could be for a refinance. It could be for a home equity line of credit, that kind of thing. Now, under the terms of that mortgage, there are certain conditions that must be met. Most notably, the money has to be paid back, right? You're going to have some sort of repayment schedule. Inside that mortgage. This is typically gonna be monthly payments in just about every mortgage that exists, but there are some special circumstances. But you know, I would say 95, maybe even 99% of the mortgages that are foreclosed, it's gonna be a monthly payment schedule. Now, also written in that mortgage are the results of what will happen if you become delinquent. So in the process towards a bank foreclosure, the borrower fails to make the payments according to the payment schedule, according to those payment requirements inside that mortgage. Now, if they don't make those payments, in the result they don't make those payments, what happens here is dictated by that mortgage. Typically, the mortgage will allow the holder of that mortgage, the owner of that mortgage, the lender or the mortgage company to foreclose. And what will happen then is they'll start that foreclosure action. From there, state law will kind of dictate what happens next to a degree. They simply can't come and knock on your door one day and say, well, you haven't paid in 60 days. You're going to be kicked out of the property and we're taking ownership. It just doesn't work like that in any type of foreclosure. There's court action. There's certain things that have to happen in order to prevent that from happening, right? What will usually take place is a series of legal actions, An attorney will take over the process, and they'll begin the legal proceedings according to what is required by their state law. This will typically begin with what is known as a Liz Pendens, or a Notice of Legal Action, a pending legal action. This will inform you and the public that the mortgage holder is seeking to foreclose that mortgage against the property. From there, a document is drafted by the attorney, It's going to be filed in the court system. It's going to lay out the legal action. In short, it'll reference the terms in that mortgage. It'll actually probably include the mortgage as an attachment itself it'll also say that this person has not paid according to the terms of this mortgage it'll also say the amount due and then it'll say what the mortgage company is seeking which is the action of foreclosing on the property and taking ownership of that property now this has to also be filed and served upon the borrower themselves so somebody process server will come over they'll say here's your foreclosure action or whatever they do right now there are quite a few other legal steps between that and the actual foreclosure judgment, which we're we'll about to discuss. But just know that there's you know all these different steps are going to take us to the ultimate result of a bank foreclosure process. Now, what happens is once all these steps are filed, all this stuff is done, the timeline's met, all that good stuff, then it goes to what is known the judgment phase. This is another document that's going to be drafted by the attorney, and it will be signed by the judge as long as the judge says yes, everything's been done properly. Now, that at that point. The property has been through foreclosure, but there's still some other steps that remain that the bank must go through. Most states will have what is required action after the foreclosure judgment, which is known as a foreclosure sell. This is where the property is sold at the courthouse to the highest bidder. However, this is not a no-reserve option, and it's not a reserve for back taxes or anything like that, like a tax sale property the mortgage company has the ability to basically add a reserve onto the property up to the amount that they're owed for that property, the amount that they lended on that property. Now, this will not only include the principal mortgage balance, but also includes interest, court fees, and attorney's fees, which can be in the thousands of dollars. So, it's very possible that the property is underwater. In other words, the property might be worth $100,000, and the balance on that mortgage might only be $95,000. But after all the fees, expenses, interest, all that good stuff, the judgment could calculate to a total of $105,000. So obviously, you don't want to buy a property that's worth $100,000 and pay $105,000 for it. It just doesn't make sense, right? Now, the bank could set the reserve on their behalf for $105,000 for what is owed on that property. They can be anywhere up to that. It could be less, that kind of thing. So you have to understand that a lot of times, this happens a lot of times. A piece of property that's, that's worth a hundred thousand dollars, there might be a hundred and five, one hundred and twenty, one hundred fifty, two hundred thousand dollars owed on that property. And I would say, you know, a large majority of the time, there's more owed on the foreclosure by the time it reaches the foreclosure sale at the courthouse than the property's worth. Likewise, you can't see on the inside of the property, you can't inspect the property, and there might even be other liens that still exist if they weren't properly foreclosed out or if they were senior to the mortgage that was foreclosed now once the bank property is foreclosed on once it goes through the actual foreclosure action if nobody bids then the property is in the hands of the bank and they can do whatever they want to with it it could be put on the market with a realtor it could be sold off in some sort of portfolio could be transferred any way that the bank wants in short the bank makes the rules okay so you have bank foreclosures There's a certain, you know, there's certain stuff you have to do as far as filing the foreclosure and going, you know, according to the law when it comes to actually foreclosing that mortgage. But prior to that and after the property goes through those steps, the bank is in control. They do what they want to do. When it comes to a tax foreclosure, who's in control? Well, state law is in control. The state makes the rules. In fact, they make all the rules. They make the only rules, and they make the rules that must be followed to a T. Of course, the process starts when a property owner is delinquent on their taxes. From there, it goes through a number of different processes that we've discussed in previous episodes, but for simplicity purposes, we're gonna be using the tax deed process in our example. So what happens is the owner will get served the notice, they'll get mailed the notice, and the county will foreclose on the property if they don't pay the property taxes. And they don't start working its way to the tax sale auction. The opening bid at the auction will be determined as required by state law. Not only is that not an amount that is owed to the bank and their attorneys and everybody else, but it's a much, much lower amount. It's typically going to be the amount of the back due taxes plus interest and some of the recording fees, the publication fees, and that kind of stuff. Now, the property will then get auctioned off to the highest bidder at the tax foreclosure auction. If nobody bids on that property, it'll be sold OTC or through other methods as described in the state statutes. It's that simple don't pay your taxes, get foreclosed. You can buy it at the auction. You can buy it after the auction. That's it, guys. It's a very, very simple process. Now, when you look at a bank foreclosure, not only can the property be underwater, and they frequently are, but the bank is the one that makes the rules. You have to play by their rules. This is only fair, of course, since it is their money, I guess, but they can stop that action at any time they want to. They can put the brakes on it. They can dispose of the property however they want to. They make the rules to protect their investment. When it comes to tax foreclosures, the rules are very simple. You must follow the law. and state law, in nearly every single state is very, very clear and very direct on the process that must be followed. The county just doesn't get to kind of do things the way they want to, right? They are mandated to follow the required system, As required by state statute for this reason alone the tax foreclosure process is so so much more desirable with that said we're going to go through a quick comparison regardless okay first off let's talk about price bank foreclosures whether they're purchased at the foreclosure auction at the courthouse or if they're purchased through a realtor after the fact are typically much much more expensive than tax foreclosures you have to remember, the bank is trying to recoup as much of their investment as possible. That is, that the mortgage they owed against that property that was owed to them, that they lended against, they're trying to recoup all that, and they want to squeeze out every single dime that they can. Now, let's talk the different process when it comes to the sale. With tax sales, you have a set process. You buy the property at the tax sale auction, or you buy it after the auction through whatever process is dictated by state law. Pretty simple. With bank foreclosures can be a nightmare. It can be an absolute nightmare. Not only can the auction process at the courthouse be very, very difficult, but if it doesn't sell at the courthouse since the reserve might and often is too high, then the property could potentially go into like a portfolio or something like that. But it could also go to a realtor. Realtors all the time advertise these bank-owned homes as if they're some sort of special properties. and I guess they could be considered special because they can be very, very difficult. If you've ever tried to purchase a bank-owned property from a realtor, you probably know that they use special contracts, they do things a special way, and the bank does whatever the bank wants to do. And even then, you still don't know what you're gonna pay for that property a lot of times, and you still don't know what the bank is really even asking, right? I had a friend of mine a couple months ago that looked at a house that was priced at $90,000. He knew that there might be some other offers, so he put in an offer that was way over the top. He offered $120,000 for a house that was bank owned and priced at $90,000. So what happened? Well, he waited a week, he waited two weeks. On the third week, the bank finally responded and said, listen, we don't want to accept your offer. He said, why? They said, uh, eh, we don't want to accept your offer. He says, was there another offer? They said, well, we just don't want to accept your offer. So again, guys, the bank plays by their rules. It doesn't matter if the offer's higher, lower, better, worse. They do what they want to do, right? They're people, they're corporations. They do whatever they want to do to appease their stockholders, their officers, all that good stuff, right? When it comes to the actual process, I can promise you, buying tax-defaulted real estate is much much easier. Now, when it comes to property types, you're usually going to have many more homes as bank foreclosures than at tax sale auctions. And of course, this could be good or bad depending on your investment objectives. Now, the most important metric we've already kind of briefly discussed, we've kind of touched on it, however, but the most important metric to a lot of people is the potential profit. How much money can I make and what's the most profitable avenue for me? That's always going to be the question, right? Well, overall, Tax-sell properties are generally going to provide the best return. Now, not every situation, of course. I'm not going to be just issue a blanket statement and say tax-sell investing will always be bank-owned you know, property and investing in those properties. Because that's not the truth. I mean, it can vary on a case-by-case basis. But you have to remember that in every single property that is bank-owned, the bank owns that property because it was financed. They loaned money against that property. And many of these properties had a very, very high loan-to-value ratio. That means that the loan that they loaned against that property was very, very close to what the property is worth. And oftentimes, by the time you add in interest and fees and attorney's fees, they actually are owed more than that property is worth. It's underwater, right? When it comes to tax foreclosure, the amount owed, the taxes and the fees compared to the property value, I guess you call this the the amount due to value ratio, right? It's gonna be far, far lower percentage-wise than your bank foreclosures. So what happens here is when you buy a piece of property at a tax foreclosure, you're gonna have a lot more equity than if you buy a bank foreclosure in just about every situation. Not always, there's a few here and there, but just take my word for it, when you start comparing the numbers, you're gonna have a lot more equity for your tax foreclosures. In the end, which is best? Which is a better investment vehicle for you? Tax foreclosures or bank foreclosures? Well, the answer, it should really be no surprise to you guys. Tax foreclosures far exceed bank foreclosures as an investment vehicle, at least in my book. Of course, I am the tax sell guide, so hopefully my answer didn't surprise you guys. That's it for today's podcast, guys. I really hope you've enjoyed learning the differences between bank foreclosures and tax foreclosures as investment vehicles. For yourself and again my suggestion of course is to steer clear of the bank foreclosures and really focus on the tax foreclosures to continue learning about tax foreclosures head on over to taxcellacademy.com again that's taxcellacademy.com and while you're there you can also get a free copy of my brand new book tax cell playbook just input your information and let me know where to ship it also guys one more special request if you enjoy this podcast Please be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting platform and also give us a good rating. As always, take care, folks, and make it a successful week. Bye-bye.